Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. Hey, sorry about the divorce. It's not a divorce, Chief. Whatever. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. And we're here to discuss part five of season four of HBO's True Detective Night Country. Later, John Hawks, who plays Hank Pryor, is going to be stopping by to talk about his time in Ennis um, and uh, the end of his time in Ennis. Spoiler. Ends with a bang. (laughs) Uh, But first, let's do a quick recap. Danvers and Navarro are desperate to get to the caves where Annie Kay was killed. The only person that can lead them there, heroin addict Otis Heiss. You can help me get well. I can't get you heroin. You know that. Your time's up. Danvers learns the mining company was funding Salal's research. When she goes to question them, she's told the case is closed. Forensics came back. It was a weather event. Slab avalanche. Dirt. Sudden and can move at 100 miles an hour. An avalanche? Come on. The mining company pays Hank to make Otis disappear, that's in quotes, but this soon goes south when he catches up with Otis at Danvers' house. You should know something. I didn't kill Annie Kay, I just moved her body. Blood is blood, Peter. Remember that. No! With two dead bodies, a cover-up is afoot as Danvers and Navarro are off to the caves. We can't fix this. This It's too big. We can't fix it. Hank was sent here to stop us from finding where Annie died. We are this close. The storm will help cover our tracks. That's why we have to go right now. So maybe we could start at the end because I feel like that was the big dramatic part of the episode. I mean, Chris, I feel like you deserve some props. You said from the beginning, John Hawks is not a good guy. I knew it. And I honestly, I wish I hadn't walked back that he had nothing (laughs) to do with it because he was so stupid. You can be (laughs) dumb and also be evil and do bad things when other more evil people tell you. And Kate McKittrick, Miss Silver Sky, which we should have, did we know it was called Silver Sky? Because skies are not supposed to be silver. That's an (laughs) evil name. It should be Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The first clue. So many clues everywhere. Silver sky is ominous. It's bad gray weather. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way that Hank's arc functioned in this episode was 
was interesting and sort of hallmark of the complicated way characters are drawn in the show. Like, we had this moment where his son is outside listening to his dad sing. He said he's never heard him sing before. So it's this kind of sad, humanizing moment mm-hmm. where this man who clearly has money problems and his, you know, fake wife didn't show up and basically robbed him and all this stuff. And then as the episode goes, proceeds to do, like, horrible things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I liked the way that Hank kind of existed on this show as an example of someone who probably is not inherently a bad person, but was corrupted by this company and by this place. I really got the scene when Hank is gonna pull the trigger on Liz Danvers and Peter just, boom, takes him out. Shortly after saying, like, hey, listen, I'm not a killer, I just moved the body. Mm -hmm. Which is like, that's not good. But I was so, maybe this is so 2024 pilt, but I was like, wow, chosen family is so strong. (laughs) Peter is choosing Liz (laughs) over his own dad. and Well, that or Oedipal vibes are too strong. Well, that, Mrs. Robinson. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. But I was like, wow, there is something to be said about choosing who you are aligned to and actively denying the evil of the world. I, yeah. I appreciate that. I was proud. I was weirdly proud of Peter in that moment. Mm-hmm. And they did lay the groundwork earlier on about, like, what we see Hank hit his son very hard. And Leah says something like, he's an animal. And it's like, oh, so this has happened before. Yeah. Like, this is not, this is an ongoing thing. Maybe that could have been teased out a little bit more to kind of give that final standoff a bit more sort of emotional tension, mm-hmm. but I still felt it. Yeah, I mean, they they have a, a kind of classic, complicated father-son relationship. Certainly seems as though maybe, you know, killing his father is the way that Peter kind of steps into his own manhood. Like, this is, like, the turning point for him, maybe. I don't know. Like, will he now be able to find a way to, like— keep his own family together? Mm-hmm. Like, is he, is he, has he tapped into some new reserve of strength that he could only kind of get through this, like, terrible, violent thing? Yeah. Which doesn't Can really be the feel man like, of the house now? Which doesn't really house. feel like, in, it feels kind of in keeping with the old true detective, like, that kind of storyline, more so than in this, like, feminized, like, mm-hmm. less, uh, yeah, it's it's not a show about masculinity anymore in the same way, but yeah, I guess. Yeah, toxic masculinity. Right, but, but his storyline does bring that previous threat more to the fore. Yeah. It feels, though, to me that, like, if we ended at that and, like, that's sort of the end of any sort of interrogation of masculinity on the show, I'd be like, okay, that's fine, because it's not really about what the show. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, Peter and Hank were both major supporting characters. It's not really about them. So if it's, like, if the ending is, you know, Peter made the decision, he had to choose once and for all, is it Liz or is it Hank? And he chooses Liz and he has to wrestle with that forever, then I'd be, feel, I'd feel satisfied with that. I will say... I was worried, given given what we'd been saying about Evan Peters, that that was the end of Peter. Well, that's <laughs> I thought it was very much. Yeah, that was yeah. more that was more telegraphed from the beginning. Like it yeah. seemed, you know, he can't you can't be this like innocent, like kind of naive guy and like survive on the ice. But uh, mm-hmm. maybe you can if you murder somebody. If, if you, you murder, murder your own if you father. murder your own father and you sidle up with a strong woman. <laughs> yes, those are the two requirements. That's how you do it to survival. Um, but yeah, so obviously the entire episode is not just about Peter and Hank, but yeah. it's a it's a it's a great ending. It really is. This show no knows how to do a final scene oh, in gosh. an episode. Hank, so pathetic, so pathetic. Can we talk a little bit about his admission that he moved Annie Kay? Because mm-hmm. that was, uh, I was a little bit like, whoa. Like, I, like, rewound for a second. Were you surprised in the scene where he's talking to Kate or that kind of is, like, kind of where we thought that storyline was going anyway? I have to say, I sort of forgot Kate existed for, for a little bit. She makes an impression at the very beginning, right? And then we learn that Danvers fucked her husband, and that was like, mm-hmm. go Danvers. And then for her to sort of emerge as like the big evil boss of the whole entire thing of the mind, it does make sense. But I think the show did a good job of distracting us from Kate to bring us back. I was surprised that Hank was in cahoots, but obviously to disseminate evil in the world, you got to have, you know, you got to have friends, an evil cabal, if you will. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so Hank's role in that was was that was less surprising, I guess, but how he was used moving into his body, I was like, oh, that that I didn't really expect because him keeping that secret for so long, I don't know, he just seems so dumb that like uh, <laughs> it feels uh, like that would have come out at some point. Conspicuously moving the files that incriminate you, I guess, <laughs> is maybe maybe sort of a rookie move, but it seems to have worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think there's also the question of Kate saying to Hank, like they can't find that cave. 
Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, to what end? <laughs> Obviously, Danvers is convinced about this kind of, you know, numbers and, like, stats about, like, pollution and stuff, right? Like, but it, do we think that's it? Like, I, I don't know. I kind of, if that was just it, I think I'd be a little bit like, oh, you know, you know, is that all there is? Mm-hmm. But Because um, it just seems so obvious. Well, yeah, in a way, I guess. But I don't know. It is kind of, at the same time, dense and interesting that Kate has been interacting with Danvers this way when it's like she knew had this horrible secret she at least knows something about how mm-hmm. about Annie Kay's death about this mysterious cave like all this stuff like that this mine is a lot more m- malevolent than one thinks and maybe that's actually the malevolent spirit that people are kind of feeling in the town in a way it's kind of made manifest but but yeah I don't know I'm kind of curious about like what Kate knows about the cave and what we're going to find out about this cave. Yeah, I will say we should have, the rot within Kate goes all the way down to her daughter who left Leah at that protest when Leah needed her most because Leah's dating Kate's daughter. (laughs) And when Leah's getting beat up for going to the protest and protesting the mines, Kate's daughter, Leah's girlfriend, just runs away and leaves her. And who saves her is Navarro, which was... Pretty sweet. Yeah. And even though she's been beat up by a cop, like Danvers still takes the kind of tough love approach to Leah, which I get because she's like, she needs to see that there are consequences Mm -hmm. of this stuff. Look, I don't agree that someone should be like necessarily keeping their child away from like almost young adult away from like expressing political views or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like. But it's dangerous. It's it's clearly dangerous. (laughs) When you know that people have been murdered for doing the exact same thing that your daughter is doing. Right. You would uh, maybe not want them. But there was an interesting, I think Navarro coming in to save Leah, it was kind of nice in keeping, you know, a native woman helping another native woman, an indigenous woman helping another indigenous woman, like that sort of community within the grander scheme of Ennis. I mean, that seems to be a theme overall from, you know, Annie Kay and the birthing scene and whatnot of, you know, helping out your own yeah, looking out for each other in that way. And we've definitely seen with Danvers throughout the season that Pryor is sort of a surrogate son. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways... Leah is Navarro's now surrogate sister because she's just lost her sister, you know, at the beginning of the episode. The, mm-hmm. She's getting mm-hmm. the ashes and then burying them in out in the ice yeah. uh, with uh, Rose's help, which I thought was an interesting kind of idea that Rose is many things. And one of them is sort of like helping dead people be shepherded into, you know. What the, can't Rose do? I mean, honestly. <laughs> she can make a gorgeous spread <laughs> for Christmas yeah. Eve all for yeah. herself. She can literally bury the bodies. <laughs> Get you a woman who can do both. And really, I was like, wow, I'm so happy that she, I guess the show is way more economic with its characters and its people than I would have expected, which is good storytelling in terms of Rose helping to bury the bodies and not just being this, like, witchy woman who tells a story and then disappears, you know? It feels like we're using Kate coming back and being, like, bad gal, b- dangerous woman of them all, running the mine. <laughs> Everyone is sort of has a a purpose that is seems to be leading to what might be a satisfying conclusion. I don't know. I feel like there's still a lot that sort of needs to be wrapped yeah. up that I'm like, I don't know. If kind of a fascinating amount, actually. There is, yeah. yeah. Well, like, yeah. we still don't really know what the deal is with Otis. Right. Like, he... He gives us more information in this episode, certainly, but, like, still keeps, seems kind of shifty and, like, you know, the relationship between him and the scientists and all that stuff, like, it's a bit murky, I suppose. But, yeah, there's a lot to answer in finale. And we're also supposed to trust that he just, like, is going to be honest about the cave. I mean, like, uh, like right. he's a, a heroin addict. Right. <laughs> he's uh, shooting up. Danvers brings him back to her house and is like, point to where it is on the map. I don't know. I was like, we might want a second opinion. I, she doesn't have much else to go on, <laughs> That is true. But um, I was like, you're playing fast and loose here. <laughs> for sure. Um, man, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of spooky stuff in this episode. I, I feel like I can't get the image of the baby coffins out of my head. Uh, oh, yeah. The nines. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Very, very upsetting. Like in a show that is not short on upsetting imagery, that's worse than the corpsicle. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and just sitting there in this shed waiting for the ground to thaw. Right, enough, they, can't, you know? they can't move them yet. Yeah, it's just like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this show is certainly, it's an interesting survey of this community, but it's not a, it's not at all a sort of like uplifting one. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. this is about a very like hard place and a very difficult place. And I think that's probably one of the most striking examples of that for sure. Not that mm. real, communities in northern Alaska necessarily dealing with exactly this stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you yeah. would but hope like, not. Yeah, yeah, I hope not. But it's, you know, it's it's an interestingly bleak portrait, certainly. Yeah, I mean, before we see Peter kind of come into his own by shooting Hank also, we get to see 
him confront Danvers and kind of get yeah. the truth out of her. Or, well, not the entire truth, I guess, about the Wheeler case. We still are not entirely sure what happened there. We know that it was not a murder-suicide. Right. But we've been known that. Like We've yes. known that yeah. for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. From I the very first flashback. That wasn't really the, the yeah. reveal that no, exactly. I thought it but was. But who, who killed who is still up uh, in the air. Yeah. Yes. But I, him, uh, him, like, finally getting to, did you know that Wheeler was left-handed? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, the right question. that's I think finally the right question. Yeah, you're seeing that he is he is taking her advice to heart and he is becoming the truest detective. He's becoming he's he's in the, he's still in the running to become America's truest detective. Next top true detective. But you know in that way he's disillusioned by both of his parental figures in mm-hmm. this in the same episode and then has to make this choice like I know that this woman that I idolize and like look up to career-wise whatever basically risked my entire marriage and family for She's been lying to me and is corrupt in at least one way. And I don't know how deeply involved she was, but, like, something's bad. And then she finds out, so is his dad. Yeah. And then, like, gun in hand has to make a decision. Well, yeah, and you is, are you going to go for, like, your blood relative who moved a body that was certainly, like, killed for protesting the mine or kill your surrogate mother who— also did bad things, maybe with better intentions, maybe maybe more right. of a, a Robin Hood situation. Yeah. yeah. I think ultimately it was easier to trust that Liz had slightly better intentions or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wait, can we talk about, okay, Hillary, you mentioned a deus ex machina, you know, mm-hmm. and whether or not that's really happened yet. I got to say, when that random man is like, I know what the spirals mean, that was a little <laughs> that convenient. That was, yeah. That was a little, and I love that her boyfriend, like, was useful and helpful, and it shows that not all men are terrible and <laughs> yeah. whatnot, but when this random guy we've never seen before was like, well, obviously the spirals mean that that's where you fall through the ice, and mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh. Yeah. It was giving a little, <laughs> he knew my mother when she was researching spiders right before she died, <laughs> yeah. like. It's that kind Madam of like, Webb. that's a lot of exposition. Um, that, is a, yeah. that is a real deep cut from a movie trailer. <laughs> well, so, The I girls mean, get it, will get it's it. It's iconic. That's true. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you mean, Chris, because I thought the use of the symbol, you know, True Detective past seasons have done this too. They have this, these kind of symbols and like, actually specifically this symbol, right? Yeah. Like, um, this is a recurring theme. Yeah. And, and I just feel like it's always so ominously teased out. And we, I guess we still don't know what it means in a grander, more metaphysical way, mm-hmm. but it's used at least in this part of the world or whatever is to warn people about imminent physical danger, which I think is like, you know, and obviously then it's being used to warn people in other ways and whatever. Mm -hmm. But like, yeah, it was a little bit like I wanted there to be some kind of like, I don't know, evocative little mini monologue about it from someone or whatever. You know, I I wanted some like wise older person to sort of like hold forth on it. I bet Fiona Shaw knew the whole time. She just didn't want to tell. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Because you You weren't ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know Rose knew. Well, I mean, it is, if you look at it, a flat circle. And that is definitely (laughs) something that is a theme on the show for a long, long time. All circles are flat. (laughs) If it is not flat, it is a sphere. (laughs) You learned that in geometry. My brain just exploded. (laughs) My brains are all over the table because my head exploded. Nick Fitzalato, I have a bone to pick (laughs) with your central (laughs) allegory. (laughs) The central theme. Uh, But anyway, okay, so... This is our penultimate episode. We The wheels are in motion. We are headed to the ice caves. Obviously, nothing good is going to happen there. Um, there no. has been a lot of, there is recurring mention of people falling through the ice that keeps on, that is a motif that is coming up. It almost happens to Navarro. Like, mm, it, yeah. we hear that it happened to Peter when he was a kid. Like, there is, you know, someone's fallen into the water. These things, these, these things are not an accident. Um do you think going into this final episode, our heroes are going to make it out alive? I don't know, because I feel like we are, we're really now we have a trio, right? Like mm-hmm. like Pryor's a little bit lower on the total, you know. Like he's kind up, of been inducted, scale, though, but like, yeah. yeah. But like he's, but he's, yeah, exactly. He's he's pulled that trigger, you know. Yeah. And now he's it's a hell of a hazing. He's going to Rose to like help fix this problem, right? Like I I, I just am like, I, I, does he like become a further victim of this or whatever? Mm-hmm. I don't know if Navarro goes because she's already lost a sister. Maybe, although maybe she kind of goes to be with her sister, yeah. and that's kind I mean, of she a sad what again. Out well, she's still, the, she's not in a good place. She's, no, yeah. clearly. Well, she, she's like, yeah, the same thing's coming for me or calling yeah. to me or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she does have Quavic, like she does have someone in her life, and she's gr- getting closer to Danvers. But like, I don't know. Maybe this show is bleak enough to say like she had no hope. Yeah. But I, or Danvers dies a saver. I don't know. Yeah, I mean it's HBO, so it. 
it's hard to believe that all three will make it out alive. Right. You know, it's a mini series. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like someone is going, and they all have blood on their hands, mm-hmm. literally. Peter and his dad, and Danvers and Navarro mm-hmm. with Wheeler. Not saying that he didn't deserve it, but they all. Although have we sinned. don't know if you know, did they shoot him at the same time? Yeah, we don't like, know who yeah. shot him, and also we still don't even know exactly what happened to Danvers uh, to Hudson. Right. Mm-hmm. right. No. Well, uh, Hayden. Hayden. What's his? I don't Holden. Holden. <laughs> I love you guys in. just naming Brooklyn children. hundred percent. Hudson. Holden. I hope that all stays in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but so they all have something to sort of atone for. So and not that you you know you should pay for your crimes, but it would be in keeping with HBO shows and I think the series if one of them you know gave the ultimate sacrifice for no Navarro dying feels too bleak Danvers dying to save Navarro is maybe predictable but I could see it happening yeah and then we we should remind ourselves that I know it's a different writer but like Harrison and McConaughey both survived it's true. the first mm. season. And I was convinced that one of them was, D- like, well, I guess I assume, had to assume it was Woody Harrelson because, well, McConaughey is, like, kind of narrating it from the future. Right. But, like, mm-hmm. Taylor Kitsch gets killed in the second season of True Detective. Marshall Lee just kind of descends into, into dementia. Into, yeah. And, we're we're yeah. ruining all—I mean, I assume if you're, yeah. you've are you gotten this far, you've probably seen True Detective before now. So I mean, <laughs> definitely don't feel worried about being spoiled about season two. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's—Colin uh, Farrell has like, a, has, like, a son with, like, a funny name. Oh, God. I is, can't remember. Is it Hayden? Is it Holden? <laughs> Holden Hayden. Yeah, Holden Hayden yeah, Hudson. Yeah, that's his yeah. name. <laughs> um, no, that, but that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I guess we should really start thinking about, like— where this is all headed. And I, yeah, I think it, another death is probably in the offing. Uh, I wonder how many people we're going to get in those ice. Like, I, like, this would be way too cheesy for the show, but like McKittrick and Danvers pointing pistols at each other in an ice cave. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's, that would be... This ends here, like that kind of that's moment. That's kind of fun. Well, I mean, we, we're still looking for Clark, right? Well, yeah, that's true. We don't, yeah. we don't know where he is. And I'm, I, I guess I'm, it's interesting that like we still don't know Clark-wise, like, what, how involved he, like, like we, we've we seen one picture of a good relationship, another picture of someone who's, like, stolen away into the We know the that Salal is fudging pollution numbers, but yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that they're murdering anybody. Right, because he could have been the whistleblower, yeah. or he was mm-hmm. the per- chief perpetrator. Like, it doesn't, it, it could go either way, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I think we're all saying, like, there's still a lot to be answered in one hour of television. It was it was Chad, by the way. Chad is calling for Oh, that's good. That's basically yeah. holding. Yeah, and his daughter was Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can't top that. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, a conversation with John Hawks, who plays Hank Pryor. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the review's director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Not a great day to be Hank Pryor. Not a great life to have, I no, think. No, I don't think so. Hank Priorly, he was alive. <laughs> but I'm ching. <laughs> yes, I'm here all week. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack with Hank. Uh, mm-hmm. To get to get killed by your own son is a in, real doozy. In cold blood? Is it in cold blood because it was cold? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he has a nice—I mean, it's not clean at the end, but it's like a nice, good arc of yeah. a character to play. For sure. Um, and what an actor, John Hawks, to play that character. He's great. He's been great in everything he's been in, you know, for many, many years, uh, which is why it was especially exciting that we got a t- chance to talk to him about— uh, his role about uh, his mail order bride, his mail order bride, <laughs> whether and, he's still waiting for her, <laughs> right? Whether yeah. she took the flight, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just basically all things Hank. So enjoy that conversation with John Hawks. John, thank you so much for joining us uh, to say goodbye to Hank Pryor. I guess. Thank you. So yeah, we we want to talk all about your uh, your last scene in this episode and. Uh, kind of everything leading up to it. But first, um, we were really excited to see that you also sing a song in this episode uh, that Hank kind of scores this uh, really tense moment that erupts into a riot at the mine. And I understand that you wrote the song as well, right? I did, yes. How did it wind up in the episode? Can you tell us kind of the story of that? 
Sure. Uh, when I was first meeting the director and creator, Issa Lopez, uh, via, uh, I guess, video chat, we were talking about the character, and uh, she mentioned the idea that she might want Hank to play music, and I balked briefly, uh, just feeling like, well, if Hank was a creative person, an artist of sorts, he wouldn't be the screwed-up guy he is, maybe. Maybe <laughs> he'd be a, a different person. But it's a great disservice actors do themselves when they say, my character wouldn't do that, because we're all mysteries to ourselves, I think. We surprise ourselves with our behavior uh, often. I was looking to make Hank a more subtle, rounded, complex person from what I'd first read anyway, and that seemed like another way to maybe accomplish that. So when I came around to the idea that Hank played guitar and he'd been in a band, uh, you know, many years ago as a young guy, I thought, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll write a, a score piece. And uh, I did, and sent it to Issa, and she loved it, and that was fine. And we were in Reykjavik uh, beginning to shoot, and at one point I had a gig playing music uh, in Reykjavik, and Issa came. And afterwards she said, well, you, you got to sing, you got to write some words. And I can't say argue because Issa and I, and I'm sure the other actors would concur. She's just an incredible person to work with. It wasn't like it was real arguing, but it was good-natured bickering for a few weeks with my saying, well, it's going to become performative suddenly. It's going to be a guy in his living room performing, it felt like, if I start singing. And, and uh, I'd always just seen it as, as a score piece. And eventually uh, I came around and... Um, and Sue Jacobs, uh, who, who uh, brought a lot of the music to the show, is amazing. She and Issa both agreed there needed to be words. So I wrote words and a melody kind of at the last minute. And uh, and that was that. I'm glad it did. It, it serves really well. And when you were writing the lyrics to the song, were you doing it in character? I was. I believe I was. Uh there is no love, no loss, and unfound. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bleak. <laughs> it is. And even a line I wrote the uh, later in the song that says there is no place to get unwound is kind of happening while the, the whole riot is happening. It ended up one of those lucky things, serving really well. And, and Vince Pope, uh, who scores the show, uh, did what I, I always hoped and dreamed would happen, which was the song starts with a guy on a guitar and becomes a more uh, orchestrated Piece as it goes along, so. There is no king. I saw it for the first time last night uh, to, to kind of catch up to, to, to speak to you. I, I, I did. I got the episodes late, but uh, I was really, really happy with uh, how things rolled out around the song. Yeah, it's a it's a really powerful, evocative, and sort of mysterious moment in a way because we are seeing this other side of this guy who could easily have been just a you know, standard issue villain in the murder mystery, you know? Um, yes. And obviously, if you're involved, John Hawks, the actor is involved, it's going to be more interesting than just that standard issue thing. So I'm, I'm curious what conversations you and Issa had about Hank. Um, you know, did you come up with backstory or, or how did you figure out how to shade him so interestingly? When Issa and I first began to meet, uh, I, had, I hadn't worked in a long time, honestly, and uh, through COVID. And I knew that, I wasn't a lead character in the show, which would be fine, except that I knew that I'd be in Iceland where it would be cold and very dark for a long time playing this very dark character. And uh, pretending to be this guy every day was both a kind of privilege and a, and a, and a burden. And these characters, yeah, just pretending, so I'm just reading the script every day, it's, it's heavy. And uh, I was a little worried about that. And... Uh, Issa, Issa spoke to Jody, and Jody said, I'll make him laugh. Tell him I'll make him, I understand, and I'll make him laugh every day on set. And I uh, thought that was really beautiful long before I'd met Jody for her to say that. My other real concern with Hank was that Issa's an incredible writer, but I felt like Hank was pretty one dimensional. And I thought that 
we could serve the story a, a lot more by by bringing more notes to them, more more levels, more layers, uh, to not just be kind of a one-note uh, male chauvinist pig, but to find a kind of humanity in this in this person and a more complex human being. So we work toward that. As far as as backstory, that's something I do always in great detail. I'm an over-preparer who likes to know too much and then try to forget everything when the curtain goes up or the director says action and just be present with the other actors and try to try to serve serve that moment as best I can. But um, the cool thing about this was that Issa actually worked with me creating the backstory. You know, we'd never met, but we were, as I said, uh, talking on video chat for uh, several sessions leading up to, to my arriving in Reykjavik. But I realized quickly that I had to be careful what I said because I was just kind of throwing out ideas and then she'd send me a draft and some of those ideas were in there. And I was like, <laughs> I have to be careful what I say because it will go right in, which is really cool. She was so open to it and and also had a lot of suggestions herself. So, yeah, I made a, a lengthy kind of uh, a backstory about Hank that, that Issa, you know, also had something to do with, for sure. One of the other forlorn moments... Uh, for Hank is he's met this woman online and he has made plans to bring her to Alaska and to start a life with her and then that doesn't pan out and I think we're meant to assume that maybe there was some sort of financial scam involved and mm-hmm. and what I loved about how you played it uh, John was that he doesn't react in immediate anger or even very visible sadness. He kind of just says, well, okay, or she probably, there was something going on with her mom, you know, mm-hmm. it's probably fine. Um, what were those decisions like in, in kind of calibrating that moment? Because when, you know, he's telling his son about it and he's kind of almost cheery in a weird way about it. Because I, I just think it's such a fascinating, almost anti, like it goes against what we expect uh, to happen. Thank you for seeing that. I always uh, do try to play against the unexpected. When things are written really strongly as an actor, you can often play against them, I think, with with good result. Again, seeing it last night, it's so wonderful to see how editors work because the scene had a lot as written that you know more than you do in the current version. But I think that's pretty wonderful too. I would I would tell you that while Hank is standing uh, at the airport and the the plane's door goes up and no more passengers are coming off and he realizes she's not on the plane. He quickly texts her. This is not in the show. He texts her and uh, basically said, you know, this number's, you're blocked, basically. And so he's definitely been scammed. Um, another thing I love to do as an actor is figure out the truth of a character and then pile on all kinds of layers on top of that and let the truth just peek through now and then. So the obvious answer would be for Hank to throw his phone on the ground and throw the teddy bear across the runway. But there was a clue, and, th- and this scene was was uh, actually rewritten uh, long before we shot, but I, I, I liked what was said between my son and uh, and Isabella, Isabella Star LeBlanc's character, uh, who plays Jody's stepdaughter, those two were talking, and uh, Peter Pryor, my son, was describing Hank as just the toughest person he's ever known, and that he just, whatever comes, he just takes it. Whatever comes, he just takes it. And so, even though that left the script, I I did cleave to that a bit. So it provides an opportunity for Hank to kind of, again, provide a cover to what's really going on uh, underneath. And and I think that's fun to watch as an audience. So he definitely knows he's been scammed. He did send her a lot of money. And all he knows is to try to keep going forward somehow. And in that case, he reaches out to his son to try to find some kind of consolation, some kind of solace. Uh, in joining his son and his family for Christmas. And of course, that doesn't work out in the end either. <laughs> yeah, uh, Hank, and, Hank and Peter have a very uh, complicated 
relationship. I mean, especially with the ending of the episode, like it seems very kind of overtly Oedipal um, in the way that things shake out. But yeah, can you tell us a little bit about navigating uh, with Finn Bennett, kind of what Hank and Peter are to each other? You know, there's there's kind of a level of abuse. There's a level of love. There's all sorts of complicated emotions. For sure. First, Finn is just extraordinary in the show as as everyone is but it's been especially fun to see him yeah it was fun to watch his work come together he and i spent a lot of time together hanging out getting to know each other laughing um i loaned him a guitar for for a while because he was interested in that i think that it's such an interesting relationship between the two of them isu was saying that his hitting his son is a form of love almost as well. Hank isn't very good at expressing the love he has for his son and the desperate need he has to be close to his son. And the show is about, Issa told me early on, about partly about loneliness. And and uh, I thought that Hank would be an ideal character amongst many others to to kind of illustrate that. So he's got this kid and he's losing him to to Danvers, to, to, to Jodie Foster's character. You know, we didn't talk a ton about feelings or what we what we felt. It was more just trying to figure out what would serve, serve each scene the best as far as how we related to each other. Hank says this thing to Kate McKittrick, the head of the mine. You know, he's willing to do some bad things for her, move a body here and there, but he's not a killer. And then the arc of this episode takes him pretty close to that threshold. What do you think the turn is for Hank? Like, is it just desperation? Do you think he really was going to pull that trigger? You know, it's interesting. We rehearsed for about, we had about two weeks, which was a really great luxury for Kaylee Reese, Jodie Foster, Finn Bennett, uh, Isabella. Uh, We would, along with Issa, take hours each day and just go through each scene and and work on it and and decide if a line rang false, maybe something else could be written. And we got a lot of work done, but that last scene in episode five, we couldn't get there with it. It it just it just there was just it, it really strained credibility. It went around a lot of different ways. And so finally, some Saturday or Sunday we met at Issa's apartment in Reykjavik and Jody, Kaylee, Finn, and myself, along with Issa, just took hours with that scene and, and rewrote it and got it into a place pretty much right before we shot that we were all happy with. Was so, the ending always that Peter was going to shoot Hank or had, was yes, that also something that changed? Yes, there were different versions of that. But yes, that was always going to, to happen in some way. Um, we didn't want the typical standoff where everyone's pointing their weapons at each other. Uh, we wanted, again, something that would be motivated, believable, and really serve the moment. I think we got there. I think Hank's shooting Otis is instinct. It's not something he'd hoped to do. I improvised to Jody walking over to the body, Jesus Christ, like kind of why did you do this is this is you we could have we didn't have to do it this way. I guess it was the feeling I was trying to convey to her and my true horror and regret at, at what had just gone down. I think Hank fools himself a lot with uh with, with Alina, his his fiance that doesn't exist, with uh a relationship with his son that doesn't really exist. And uh, in this case, I think Hank had to see some way that it would all work out in the end if he could just get Otis and get him out of there. Not only would he become chief of police, but Kate McKittrick, who owns the mine and basically owns the town, she's got a lot on him. And so he's really at her beck and call. So he's got to do it. But I think that he's visualized a way that didn't involve killing Otis and getting himself killed in the end, I suppose. But when his son will not choose him and chooses Danvers over him, uh, he doesn't have anything left. He's lost his love, his work, and now his family. There's so much emotional at play in, in that that sequence. Um, it's really striking. 
Um, but I'm always also curious about the sort of technical onset of it all. I mean, you know your character is about to die. Does that create a very different mood on set? And and with gunplay and blood and bullets and all that stuff, what what are the challenges there, technically speaking? Wow. Um, I think it was a different mood. Finn and I had spoken this morning, and, and uh, it was a scene that he didn't dread, but he, you know, he basically mentally circled as this is this is a really important thing and and uh all the lead up to it i think he felt and um the pressure uh, of it one of my first meetings with isa once i learned hank would meet his end i i i said i'm i'm not interested in in being part of this if it's glorified if it's slow motion if it's just too graphic uh I'm not afraid of dark material, but I, I just, I'm kind of tired of a, of a certain kind of violence. Uh, and she assured me that it wouldn't be glorified or beautiful somehow is, is being shot. Yeah. It's kind of like who's point, a lot of the logistics are who's pointing at who, where, when is the decision made? Um, what might be said by Hank after the, after the decision is made? I, you know, suggested basically saying I, I, I didn't kill Annie Kay. I just moved her body. Um, Issa thought that uh, blood is blood. Peter, remember that? To harken back to, uh, I think, episode two would be a great idea. I thought that was wonderful. So, yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, there were actually, there's, there, were, there were things that, that we didn't even find until that day I came into rehearsal and there was a new wrinkle with the idea of, well, why wouldn't Jody be able to defend herself or fire back? And it was decided that she would, in the comfort of her home, take her sidearm off and lay it on the table. And uh, so we had to kind of dance that dance quickly and figure out how to make that all work well. And it, and it did. So, yeah, it's a jumble of answers, but uh, it's a complicated thing to do. We didn't have a ton of time to do it. I think we did it well. And um, hopefully it's subtle and yet still has a lot of charge to it yeah so. i think you really avoided any glorifying i think it's just blunt and terrible like as yes it, as it would be in 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 real life yeah it doesn't yes. it doesn't seem triumphant at all it's not like this is mm -hmm. you know we took down the bad guy yeah and even beyond that it's just the the literal cinematography of the of the violence of, of it and and i'm just glad that it was just kind of fast and shocking was that your final day of shooting on the series no, but it was near the end. Uh, you know, the guitar, all that stuff happened for me kind of the last week. You know, after six months of being there, I did most of the stuff I did really in the last probably week that I was in Reykjavik. Partly because I'd gotten COVID right before Christmas and all those scenes had to be moved. And so they were moved to the end. When you watch a, like a, a mystery show like this uh, as a casual viewer, are you kind of picking apart little clues? And, you know, it, it, you know, in the opening credits alone for this season of True Detective, there are, feels like there's lots of little Easter eggs and stuff. Um, uh, is that how viewers should be watching this? And or is that how you would watch it if you were not a part of the show? I think so. I like a mystery quite a lot. And um, I think I think it's it's a very human thing to to want to solve a puzzle. And uh, I haven't seen the last episode, so luckily I have no spoilers on that, but uh, I won't blurt out something wrong. But <laughs> but I do know that uh, in any good story, as in life, there's no neat bow, I don't think, tied around things. I think that there's hopefully a really satisfying conclusion, but one that still has questions. Because for me, I'm not too interested in in art answering questions so much as asking them, I suppose. But do you, you do know what happens in the final episode, even? Uh, I do, you, yeah. You haven't watched it? Yeah. Uh, were you surprised to, to find out on paper, you know, what happened to the law scientist in as much as the show? Yes, of course, it? yes. You know, it was, it was, it was, you know, a good script is like a really good novel, uh, you know, when it's done right. It's it's page turning and you're praying that it doesn't let you down at the end when I was first reading the script. I think all I got was the first script before Issa and I met. And when I read it, I was floored. She's such a good writer. And I said, I can't wait to see what happens. And she says, me too. <laughs> because she hadn't written the rest of it at that time. So she just written this episode and then had to figure out how to how to make it 
to have a beginning, middle, and an end and have a, a satisfying conclusion. But uh, Well, we won't make you risk any more spoilers. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> you know, it, it might be uh, somewhat hard to mourn for Hank himself, but we will miss mm. your performance. Uh, mm. Definitely added a crucial texture to the show. Um, and we're really glad that you could talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Oh, it was so nice to talk to you both. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much. It must feel after spending so much time making something and then having to keep everything secret for a long time, being able to be out in the open about it must be nice. Thank you for letting me, uh, you know, kind of relieve uh, a little of the burden that I carry. Happy NDA uh, lift the day. Burden <laughs> <of new one. laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Well, thanks uh, again, John. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. When we return, we are going to make our final predictions on who done it. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast, a weekly television podcast that obsesses over all things TV. Chris, Hillary, and I are at your service to recap and analyze the best that's out there and what you should be watching. Plus, we're talking to the stars and showrunners about how exactly it all got made. New episodes of Still Watching drop weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. We are almost at the end. We have one more episode to go, which means it is time for our final predictions of Who Done It. Uh, to to refresh you, uh, we uh, the winner who's closest to kind of deemed, I guess, by the others, we're going to buy them an icy or a Slurpee. There's been some debate about about uh, nomenclature. Nomenclature. <laughs> um, we've had predictions all season long, ranging from a polar bear to mysterious gases seeping out of the earth, <laughs> and actually people. So I guess now, Hillary and Chris and myself too, what are our final predictions? And is it a new one, or is it are you going back to an old one you've already made? Okay, I'll start, because I'm looking back at my expert, incredible predictions. The <laughs> yeah. polar bear, the ghost of Julia, Oliver Tagak. Remember him? <laughs> Will we oh, ever yeah. see him again? Yeah. No, Probably gone. not. Okay, I'm going to let him go, and I'm going to go add on to my first prediction of Hank, right? Andy K. We learned that Hank said that he moved the body, and I don't think the last line that Hank will ever say on the show is a lie. I think I trust that he was involved. He moved the body. I think we heard a lot about Connolly, and we barely saw him this episode, mm. right? Connolly's in cahoots with Kate, clearly yeah. knows oh, about so the mines. This, this does go all the way to the top. So it goes all the way to yeah. the top. She's it, running for some sort of office, right? Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. political. He's running yeah. for office. She's making a mess of the mines and the town. I think that he—I'm going to say that Connolly— killed Annie Kay, okay. got Hank to move the body. Yeah. And then things got messed up and then moved Jodie Foster over there and she became chief of police and took Hank's spot. And the Hank hates Connolly because of that. Okay. Um, so Is Connolly involved with the scientist murder? Because it's officially not a murder. As, yeah, you know, slab av- you know. avalanche. Oh, yeah, right. well, we could just blame the avalanche as, <laughs> yeah. as Kate does. Which is what they blamed for the Russians. I know, up, so right? I thought uh, that's yeah. a fun Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And definitely Issa Lopez being like, this is bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, you know what? I, you know who we haven't seen in a long time? I don't, th- I don't think Rust it was Connolly. Cole. <laughs> Travis Cole. <laughs> Travis Cole. No, I'm going to say it's uh, Annie's brother. Remember him? Oh yeah. Remember him? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Him? He he was he was on our uh, on our list. Yeah. Oh, he was maybe he thinks the scientist did it, and he went and got revenge or something. Yeah, revenge. Like that. Maybe he teamed up with Quavik. Maybe uh, they like. Okay. Maybe they teamed up and they. That's so they're at, so are there good men? So, that's kind of that would be sort of thematic. Yeah. That would be. There's not one to be seen if that's the case. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Annie's brother teaming up with Quavik, slaying some Salals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Okay. How, how about you, Hillary? How about me? Um, I mean, okay, so. Kate must have known about Annie Kay getting murdered, right? That's like, why you can't go to the caves. Yeah. <laughs> she can't find oh, the cave. yeah, I think so. Like, I think Kate knows about everything that happens in the town. Yeah, so I don't I, I don't think she she did not commit the murder. She did not cut out any tongues herself, like not her style, but she she caused it to happen. Annie Kay. Okay. I'm gonna say. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. say that I, I think that I'm keeping my keeping my prediction where it was from the last episode. But when it comes to the scientists, like, somebody finding out about Annie Kay and then going after the scientist, like, I, I do feel like that kind of, there has to be a reason that these two things are connected. Okay, like, yeah. her her tongue being at Salal, like, yeah. it's not it, it's not an accident. Yeah, it's not purely about the mine. Right. Yeah. And so, I I mean, what you just said, Chris, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go with Annie Kay's brother and Quavik, but, like, maybe Fiona Shaw has, like, a 
cabal of like old witches <laughs> that she like rides into battle with. Yeah. And they are the ones. Oh, yeah. And she does have that ice pick. And isn't the first time we see Fiona Shaw, isn't she like skinning something? Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. skinning an animal. So I could yeah. see that being an early, an early breadcrumb leading to a, a conclusion such as that. Mm. Okay, I still am going with the theory that something is seeping out of the earth driving people insane because we have, like, eyes scratched out and stuff like that. So I now think— That's true. They're not just killed. They are, like, horrified and— Right. Yeah. I think that Clark and Annie were fooling around in this cave. Something killed Annie, like, some sort of chemical or whatever, like, gas or whatever. Kate had it covered up to look like just a kind of random murder because she trusted that no one investigates these murders. And she didn't want anything. She didn't want, like, her prized, like, lab to be in jeopardy. And then years later, the same stupid thing happened to the scientists where they dug too deep and went crazy and then Mm. ran out into the snow. So I think the killer is... The environment. Are you satisfied but what about if Annie it's K? Sorry, I, I, I think that she died from this same thing that was being released, oh. and they and didn't then it was want. To, they didn't want to know. And that's why so the they staged wounds. it like a murder. Okay, yeah. like but but okay, murder. so if yeah. but if the if the answer is M Night Shyamalan's The Happening, right. is that a satisfying answer? Um, no, unless Danvers does battle with Mother Nature herself. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, Mother Nature could be the pol- by the polar bear. <laughs> right. And so then it's the polar bear, right, and then I'm go. right. The and whole the polar time. bear stands on its hind legs and speaks. <laughs> and it has like a weird deep voice. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah exactly. Whispers. <laughs> She's the one who's awake. Yeah. <laughs> the polar bear all comes back to the polar bear. Um, well, we're going to find out next week. I'm very excited. Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can find me on social media at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on social media at Christress. And I'm there at Hillabuster. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Sunday for the finale to True Detective Night Country. Looking forward to seeing you then. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now.